Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper. Thanks to everybody, as always, who's been listening and downloading and sharing and sending me your comments. Uh, we have been charting all across this wonderful land of ours and internationally. I want to thank the folks in Croatia, Romania, Malaysia, Hong Kong. Those are among the places where we have been among the uh, top-ranked podcasts in the category of film and TV. Really appreciate that. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. You know, the podcast before it was the Richard Roper podcast. We used to call it Screen Time because the idea was to talk about anything you could get on a screen. Obviously, movies and TV, but also sometimes even books, news events, sports. We're going to talk about some stuff happening in the news that's also related to the world of entertainment and popular culture. We're going to talk about fan service in comic book movies, a bunch of other stuff, and reviews of a lot of uh, TV shows and movies that are just now arriving or have recently arrived either on your uh, home device or in the good old-fashioned movie theater. I want to say very quickly, too, about that. We've talked about this a lot. I see a lot of movies in advance in theaters more and more since the pandemic, as the theaters, are, of course, have long since reopened and more and more screenings. And it's been really fun the last few weeks. It's the summer movie season to see movies with big crowds, with not only with critics, but with folks who, for one, uh, through one device or another, whether it was a uh, some sort of radio station giveaway or Fandango or whatever, they get you know get to see these movies in advance as well. And as I've mentioned before, it's never going to affect my review, but it's really fun, especially with the big superhero movies and some of the crazy comedies and horror films to watch them with an audience. And I would like to also offer my congratulations, and I hope I don't jinx this, knock, knock glass. Uh, people have been really behaving very well in the theater lately at screenings. Uh, they turn their phones off. They refrain from talking. They're into the movie, and I love that. All right, before we get into it, let's give you this reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity, thanks to everybody at AmericanEagle.com. Okay, I want to start by talking about uh, protests. And we've been, I know we've talked about boycotts and all, every week in the news, somebody's mad at somebody for doing some sort of ad that's targeting some sort of group isn't their group, so now they're not going to drink that beer or go to that big box store. Uh, but in this case, I want to start off by talking about uh, protests, and um, in particular, this movement over the last few years of protesters who either glue their hands to like a tennis court in the middle of a big match, or uh, more frequently, uh, glue their hands to the walls of a museum or try to destroy works of art. Here's the most recent story. Two women were detained in Stockholm after they threw some kind of paint at a painting by French artist Claude Monet and then glued themselves to the frame, Sweden's National Museum said Wednesday. This is last week. So they did the, the twofer. They threw the paint at the painting and then glued themselves to the frame. The painting is called The Artist's Garden at Giverny, and it was on display as part of an exhibition at the museum. Uh, there, here's the thing they mentioned the, the artwork is encased in glass. Almost all great works of art now have to be encased in glass because of idiots like this. 
and um, the activists smeared red paint on the glass, but there's still sometimes there's still damage, and sometimes the frame itself is an original and is is an integral part of the artwork. I'm not mentioning uh, what their cause is here because I don't think we want to give these idiots publicity. Now, obviously, to talk about not giving them publicity, I have to give the the means of protest publicity just to talk about it. But this drives me crazy because. Uh, these protesters uh, over the last year or two, they're playing the media because they know it just it's it's a story that's kind of, you know, it's got great visuals. Uh, you see these almost always very young people, you know, these morons oh, who maybe aren't morons, actually, because they are playing the media and they're glued to the wall. And then they make their big statement about whatever the cause may be. Just in the last year, here is a partial list. I compiled a partial list of paintings that have been uh, smeared, thrown paint at, whatever the case may be. Horse and Rider by Charles Ray. Death and Life by Klimt. Stumps and Sky by Emily Carr. I believe that was also uh, a, a morning radio show. A very short person and a very tall person. Stumps and Sky in the morning. Uh, the Scream, the famous uh, uh, Munch painting. Monk, Munch. Edvard Munch. The Scream. Everybody knows The Scream. The Sower by Van Gogh. Clown by Henri Toulouse-Lautrec. Girl with a Pearl Earring by Vermeer, such a famous painting that it spawned an entire movie. Haystacks by Monet, uh, Sunflowers by Van Gogh, a very, very famous painting. Uh, works by Picasso, Raphael, Botticelli, and even the Mona Lisa, of course, by Da Vinci. And again, they're getting attention to their cause, but I, I first of all, I, it's not going to move the needle, whatever your cause may be by doing something idiotic and annoying. And I'm all for people protesting, peaceful protests, marches. If you want to boycott something for your cause, I'm all for it. But this idea of destroying art because they want to make a larger point about how the world is ending and art won't matter or all art will be destroyed. F you, you know, it's a cheap stunt. It's, it's destroying something that reminds us of the beauty of life. And I don't think it should be news anymore because that's why the only reason they're doing it is for the coverage. If they do it in a in a in a vacuum, if they do it in the museum and six people see it, fine. Someone's probably going to make it go viral anyway. But we give them too much attention. It's not really news if people are doing it all the time. It is what we call a manufactured event. So to the protesters out there, come up with something different. And to the media out there, don't be so lazy. It's too easy to cover this. Let it go. If you stop covering it, they'll stop doing it. Okay. Uh, in that same vein, I know we've talked about this before. The latest is Garth Brooks, of course. He's saying that he's going to serve Bud Light. He's going to have, uh, I guess he's going to have a place called Low Places because that was his his biggest hit of his zillions of hits, right? Friends in Low Places. So there's a new bar in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're going to serve all kinds of beer, including Bud Light. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? So now some people are really upset and they're saying, oh, Garth Brooks is woke. First of all, Garth Brooks has been at the forefront of uh, liberalism and tolerance uh, and wokeness, whatever the hell that means, his entire public career. So this is nothing new. I think there's sometimes a stereotype. Oh, if you're a country singer, you have to be conservative and far right. That's not necessarily always the case. Uh, but as we've said a million times before, if you don't want to drink Bud Light, I, listen, I don't want to drink Bud Light because I don't think it's the greatest beer in the world. But, I, you know, if you don't want to drink it because you think it's woke, Modelo is now the number one selling beer in America because of the people who aren't drinking Bud Light. 
good for Modelo, uh, Bud Light, you know, the, the parent company, of course, we've talked about this. They, they distribute and process and send out dozens of different kinds of beers. And if you don't want to drink Bud Light, you don't want to go to Target, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that. That's up to you. I, I think it's it's idiotic. And in most cases, these boycotts don't last forever. So it's it's kind of amazing that six months ago, even nobody would care if they were serving Bud Light in Garth Brooks's bar. And, and he's making the point too. He's saying, listen, if you want to come to friends in low places, that's the name of the bar, come in, come in with love, come in with tolerance and patience, come in with an open mind and it's cool. And if you're one of those people that just can't do it, I get it. So, you know, he's saying, listen, it's up to you. If you don't want to come, you don't want to come. He's not forcing it on you. And, you know, it's like a lot of the ballparks, you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe they're serving Bud Light here or concert menus. Just go to the, don't buy a beer or get another beer. They're not serving just the one beer at places. Okay. I also want to talk a little bit about fan service in comic book movies, guys. And before we get into this, uh, just a warning that we're going to get into spoilers about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse as well as The Flash. If you haven't seen those movies and you want to see them clean without knowing about some of the fan service uh, Easter eggs, uh, just fast forward a little bit and get to the part of the podcast here where I'm going to be doing reviews. Or you might want to look for this stuff. It might be fun if you haven't seen it to look for this stuff. Or if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. I, first of all, I want to talk about go back a couple of years. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, of course. That's when they brought back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield as Spider-Men to join Tom Holland. That was really cool because that was the whole plot of the movie. That wasn't just a, a quick gimmick. And I thought they did a great job with that. And they also brought back Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, uh, Jimmy Fox as Electro, and even Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. It was a great story. It, it, it played with the multiverse. And also the fact that we've had um, in just the 21st century, three separate uh, Spider-Man franchises, you know, Tobey Maguire, then Andrew Garfield, and now, of course, Tom Holland. Uh, in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, again, the whole, the whole movie is kind of, again, he's going across the Spider-Verse, but there are all kinds of, of little drop-ins and Easter eggs. Uh, we hear J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, even in the Lego, and there is a Lego version, by the way. There are all kinds of actually references to Spider-Man No Way Home. Mrs. Chen from the Venom movies uh, as a cameo. Donald Glover as the Prowler. There's a PlayStation Spider-Man. We do get glimpses of uh, Toby and Andrew again as Spider-Men. Uh, there's a Bruce Banner Spider-Man. You know, all sorts of stuff in there. Many, many uh, references to the Spider-Man canon. A lot of you out there read comic books a lot more than I do, so you'll you'll catch more references than I could ever hope to. Pretty cool. It was a great movie. Now, on The Flash, and I, I, I'm giving The Flash kind of a marginal recommendation. I give it three stars. You can get all my written reviews at suntimes.com. That's suntimes, all one word, dot com. Or just Google Richard Roper, and you'll get all my reviews going back several years. I like certain parts of The Flash, again, like so many of these movies, far too long. Um, but it's another movie where there's time travel and, and multiple universes and stuff. And among the Easter eggs, of course, early on, you see uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Henry uh, Cavill's a Superman shows up. Uh, various Batman. Everybody knows Michael Keaton is in the movies, in the trailers, in the poster and everything. There's other... Uh, Batman, including Ben Affleck. And then there's a, a, a late cameo by yet another Batman. We even see different Supermen going back to Christopher Reeve. And even there's even a nod to uh, Nicolas Cage, who never played Superman, but famously was going to. 
We see Helen Slater, who was Supergirl. I don't know if people remember. There was a Supergirl. We hear Danny Elfman's Batman theme. And there's a really cool kind of discussion uh, when the Flash goes back in time. And he believes that Eric Stoltz, uh, he finds out that Eric Stoltz was in Back to the Future. And he's like, no, 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 that was Michael J. Fox. I'm like, no, it was Eric Stoltz. And of course, the inside, inside joke there is Eric Stoltz actually was cast in Back to the Future. And they started filming, actually filmed for two or three weeks. Uh, and then he was replaced by Michael J. Fox. Uh, but in this version of the multiverse, Eric Stoltz was in Back to the Future. Michael J. Fox was in Footloose. And Kevin Bacon was in Top Gun. Uh, and speaking of the whole Back to the Future thing, there's a great documentary about uh, Michael J. Fox that's out right now. And he talks about how he was uh, shooting Family Ties and doing a movie called Teen Wolf, which has been kind of a, a cult hit. But like he mentioned, he goes, I was doing this crappy little B movie. And on the same lot, they had started shooting Back to the Future. And he was wondering if he was ever going to get a chance to be in a big movie like that. And then a few weeks later, he was literally cast, uh, recast in the lead in Back to the Future, which changed his life. And of course, became such a, iconic film in the flash look some of this stuff is really cool but i did feel like some of it was just done to get the aforementioned audiences in big screen theater multiplexes to clap and cheer because hey there there's you know there's adam west as batman there's uh the old superman uh, george reeves you know and it, it, i don't know necessarily that it really served the story so i think we're getting to the point with this fan service with this uh you know this the canon of comic book movies and comic books is now, you know, almost a century of material going back to the first comic books and decades of even the, the modern era of superhero movies. I do feel like we could be getting into territory where it's just being done because it can be done because there's existing footage. So it's cool. I like it. Wouldn't mind seeing a break from it for a while. Another story I wanted to get to here, guys, before we take a break. Kesha, you know, the singer Kesha. You might remember, this was, gosh, gosh, this was five or six years ago now. You might remember the story where she wanted to hug Jerry Seinfeld on a red carpet. I think it was the uh, the Kennedy Center, uh, Kennedy Center Awards. Yeah, uh, 2017, I'm told. 2017. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, so in the year 2017, Kesha wanted a hug from Jerry Seinfeld. And he declined. And then he was told, um, you know, she's a pretty famous pop singer. He's like, I, I, I didn't know who that was. I wish her the best. But even a few days later, Jerry said, you know, I, I just, I don't know everybody and I'm not a hugger. Uh, and Kesha says this was the, the saddest moment in her life. Let's take a listen. I get to the charity event and I got really excited because he brings me peace and love and all things good in the universe. And then he didn't hug me in front of cameras. And it was like the most depressing and hilarious, but also so sad. It was like the saddest moment of my life. Because people are tired most of the time. Hey, Kesha, I love you so much. Oh, thanks. Can I give you a hug? No, thanks. Please? No, thanks. A little one. Yeah, no, thanks. Oh. <laughs> I don't know who that was. Yeah, it was Kesha. Okay, well, I wish you the best. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel bad for Kesha. Uh, the thing about Jerry is he'd be the first one to tell you this. You know, he's, he can be kind of an asshole uh, when he wants to be. I've I've done a couple of events with him. He was very cordial to me, but he's pretty much what you see is what you get. He's very observational in his his whole life is sort of looking at things as a possible routine. 
Um, so there's a certain removal, a certain uh, reserve, a certain distance. He's not a hugger. Um, I always was a hugger, come from a family of huggers, but we live in a different time now where if I know somebody and, and we're very, very familiar and we see each other, we hug. But it used to be a lot of times when you I would just meet people, including like, not sorry, on red carpets, but in green rooms or, or whatever, everybody just kind of hugs, you know, it's it's a it's a thing. And it's not just a showbiz thing. A lot of people just do that when they meet somebody. And nowadays it's like, I, I don't initiate hugs. It's not just the COVID thing. It's just like people might not want to be hugged. And I respect that. But I don't think Jerry's ever going to hug Kesha. It's just going to be something she's going to have to live with. All right, listen, let's take a break and learn a little bit about the world famous Portillo's. And then we're going to get into a couple of reviews for you. All right, it's time to tell you about Portillo's, the greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're ever having ever in your life. Let's talk about the hot dogs and all the famous Chicago ingredients. They'll do it for you so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. That includes the poppy seed bun. Then we could talk about the Italian beef, the sausage, and the fries, the salad, the chicken. You name it. All topped up, of course, with the legendary Portillo's chocolate cake. It's fast casual. That means... It's better than fast food. You can sit down if you go to one of the restaurants, but it's still super casual. And you can order anywhere in the country via Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Once again, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends from Chicago about it. Portillo's.com. Really, bitch? A cabin in the woods. Now let's get it all in perspective. No, no, thank you. The blackening? Whoa! Jim Crow Monopoly. Shit probably runs on racism. Pick a card and save Morgan. What do you mean, save Morgan? (laughs) Refuse to play, and she dies. I think we have to play the game. In your predicament, the black character is always the first to die. I will spare your lives if you sacrifice the person you deem the blackest. The blackest? Nobody should judge anybody in here, bro. You have two minutes to decide. Wait. Y'all can't pick me. I'm gay. Oh, Clifton. Yeah. That can prove I'm not the blackest. Prove it. I've never seen Friday. I voted for Trump. (gasps) What? What? Twice. Okay, that's a clip from The Blackening, a horror comedy currently playing in theaters. And I kind of love this movie. In fact, I'm not even going to say I kind of loved it. I love this movie. So this is a parody of horror films. It's sort of like if you start with Scream, which is very self-aware, and then you have Scary Movie, which is a parody of the parodies. The Blackening is like the next level of parody. Uh, It plays off the trope that the black character in horror movies is the first to die which is more of a, a long-running inside joke than reality. There have been studies that, that say that's actually not necessarily true, that somebody looked at 100 horror movies, and I think in eight of them, the first character to die was black. But just that, that sort of idea of the black character in a lot of movies uh, historically being considered secondary to the plot, to the story, so it has a lot of fun with that. 
the setup of the blackening is a, a group of black friends. It's their 10 year college reunion. They get together and they're in the, you know, the obligatory uh, remote house way deep in the woods. And they stumble upon a, a game room and there's a game there called the blackening. And you have to answer questions about pop culture. If you're not black enough, you will be killed. And it has a lot of moments where you're laughing and thinking like, hmm, white guy, am, am I allowed to laugh here? Uh, very self-aware, often politically incorrect, uh, terrific cast, well done, lots of uh, horror movie inside references and and social commentary as, one, as well, without being heavy handed. So I love the blackening. On Netflix currently, Extraction 2. We got to move! All right, everyone okay? Kids, you good? Why did you come back for them? Do you know her? Tyler? I'm getting you out of here, okay? You told me to find the reason I fought my way back. Let's find out. This is the sequel to you guessed it, Extraction, which is a movie I actually love from 2020. Uh, Sam Hargrave uh, is the director. He's a former actor, still acting, and uh, does did stunt work and everything. And uh, Joe Russo of the Russo Brothers wrote it. And Chris Hemsworth is the main star. These movies are very much in the tradition, I think, of you know the Schwarzenegger and Stallone action movies of the 80s and 90s. Uh, they're not to be taken seriously. The dialogue, I mean, the screenplay must have been about 30 pages. Chris Hemsworth plays Tyler Rake. How's that for a name? Tyler Rake. You almost have to be an action hero. He was with the Australian Special Air Service Regiment. Then he became a black ops mercenary. And uh, the extraction this time, there's a nefarious, ruthless georgian mobster and he's in prison and he has arranged for his entire family to be in prison with them fun for the wife and kids and he's abusing the wife and the kids he's horrible so they're going to extract the wife and kids from the prison because he won't let them go and the, of course the prison itself is corrupt so he's got to go in there and there's a scene that goes for about 24 minutes the main extraction it's really well done it's way over the top uh great uh hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes Idris Elba shows up at one point. So I didn't like it as much as the original, but if you're looking for mindless action where you could pretty much have the sound off except for the explosions because the dialogue is almost non-existent. Uh, Extraction 2. Uh, another sequel of sorts that I found really disappointing, guys, and this is The Full Monty. You could go places if you wanted. You're a dad. I just hope you don't wake up one day and realize what you've missed. You're pregnant, I'm not bloody pregnant. Thank God for that. It's graffiti art. Sheffield's next big thing. Whatever crazy scheme he's cooked up, just say no. I am the voice of the one calling from the wilderness. You are a schizophrenic winner. This is going to be the greatest comeback. The snowflakes have taken over the asylum. Prices a madhouse. I know you. Know you. Know you. I've got it. You were stripless. Are you still doing it? What do you think? They did a limited series that picks up 
uh, a quarter century after the 1997 British comedy, The Full Monty. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a real cultural touchstone. It was a huge hit in the late 90s. It was about a bunch of uh, laid-off blue-collar workers who weren't particularly handsome. It was a fine-looking bunch, but they decide that they're going to do The Full Monty. In other words, do Chippendales one better and actually get completely naked. And it's it's very funny. Uh, it's warm. It's actually pretty touching uh, the stories of the guys and the various people in their lives. And it was it, it was made for like three million dollars and it made two hundred and fifty million dollars. It won a bunch of BAFTAs, which is our you know, the, the British Academy Awards uh, was nominated for Oscars. I think it won for uh, for score. Huge hit. And actually, that term then became part of the lexicon, the full Monty. So now the series picks up all of the original cast and then a bunch of new cast members a quarter century later they're still in the same town uh sheffield in south yorkshire in england and things are even more bleak than they were a quarter century ago and there's a lot of talk about that about all these different prime ministers and all these supposedly you know effective renewal projects that haven't worked at all uh, the actors are great. Uh, there are a couple of interesting storylines, but it's really bleak, guys. It's really kind of a downer. There's betrayals and there's a death and there's a, an affair and there's a lot of disappointments and estranged uh, relationships. I just, and there, there are, you know, there's some uplifting moments, but there's not that, listen, they don't, spoiler alert, they're not going to go back and, and dance. They're told, they, They're limping at this point. But I found it just really kind of gloomy. And I wish they had given these characters better lives. Uh, sometimes it's better when you see a movie to just imagine the lives of everybody after the main story ends and not actually see what happened. Let's end on a positive note. Secret Invasion on Disney+. Plus. Fury. Since you've been gone, things have gotten... Much worse. How do you think I came back? You're in no shape for this fight that lies before us, old friend. Very few of us know about the wars fought in the shadows that have raged on this planet. Do you feel responsible? Where are the Avengers? This war is one I have to fight alone. You're the most wanted man on the planet. One last fight. This is, I believe, the ninth television series now out of the Marvel Universe. And the setup, this is basically uh, a tributary from the Captain America storyline. Of course, uh, that involves... Uh, the scrolls, the shape-shifting scrolls. Now, back in 1995, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury promised that he and Carol Danvers would find a home for the scrolls. Now it's in present day. They still haven't found a home for the scrolls. So the scrolls decide, or some of the scrolls decide, they're going to just make their home Earth, which means the humans will be disposable. Uh, they come up with a pretty reasonable enough reason to keep the Avengers out of this. Why the Avengers? So it's a more grounded story uh basically involving nick fury's efforts to put a stop to the scrolls uprising uh great cast 
uh colby smolders shows up as maria hill uh ben mendelson's talos uh there's uh amelia clark from game of thrones has a role in this the great oscar-winning olivia coleman as an mi6 operative really cool stuff um with the shape shifting it kind of reminds me more of like invasion of the body snatchers than a marvel movie or series but very well done secret invasion on disney plus give it a try all right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's edition of The Richard Roper Show. Thanks to everybody at AmericanEagle.com, and thanks to you guys, most of all, for listening.